Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Dr. Lou Bayer, a Winnipeg civility expert or etiquette expert on a Houston high school implementing a dress code for parents. Global News reporter Amber McGookin continues her domestic abuse series. And Ranukashi is with the Bene Brith in Winnipeg. And he, like all of us, is shocked that police have arrested the owners of Burmax Cafe and charged them with public mischief after that recent hate crime at the cafe. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Hal Anderson, in Houston, a high school has implemented a dress code for parents. No pajamas, no hair rollers, no leggings, sagging pants or shorts, revealing tops, Uh uh-uh, undershirts on men, no way. Torn jeans that show a lot of skin underneath, not allowed. No shower caps or hair bonnets and, quote, no dresses that are up to your behind. Let's ask an expert about this. Dr. Lou Bayer is an etiquette expert, a civility expert from right here in Winnipeg, and she joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon, Lou. Hi there. Hi. Thank you very much for doing this. So what do you make of this uh, dress code for parents at this Houston high school? Well, first of all, I think it's amazing that somebody has the courage to try to implement that, and I, I hope they're successful in doing so. Do you think it's appropriate, though? Well, I, I think um, we'd have to start somewhere, and if we're asking children, you know, especially high school uh, girls and boys, to dress a certain way and to um, show some self-respect and to understand that there's written and unwritten rules about how we present ourselves, you know, these young people have to go out in the world and find jobs and university interviews and so on. I, I think somebody has to set an example, and um, we kind of are. Um, a bit of a free-for-all and I think sometimes we forget that young people learn by watching and you know again I'll I'll be shocked if they actually manage to implement it but I really applaud them for trying. Well and it doesn't seem like the teachers union likes it and obviously some parents aren't very happy about it as well. Right you know and I know if you're a busy parent and you're rushing from here to there um, you know, you have other children at home, maybe, and, you know, mom wants to wear her yoga pants to pick up her child. But um, I, I haven't read the whole uh, document through, but I suspect some of the, the criteria is that it's on site in the school, maybe, or on the school grounds. Right. So if you're just yeah. picking up your child or whatever, it's not that big of a deal. But, you know, if we're having school events, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect people to put proper pants on, for example. <laughs> Right. And Lou, you're an etiquette expert. I mean, things have changed over the years, right? What was acceptable 20 years ago is, uh, or what was unacceptable 20 years ago is fine now in most cases, right? It's changing. That's right. It is changing. And, you know, I would say that your earlier comment about, you know, the teachers union, I, I, I understand that we have some freedom of expression in those things, but it seems to me part of this is related to the allowances that, you know, teachers are wearing things you could see their underwear through or their bra straps and kind of revealing. And, you know, I think if children are seeing that at school and then they're seeing it kind of everywhere, it's it's pretty hard to enforce standards. And, you know, I, I as a parent, I would be happy to adhere to those guidelines if I knew that it was going to send a positive message to my 
my daughter, who's 17 now, I, I would have been happy to indulge that kind of rule. And I, I'd be surprised if there weren't a lot of other parents who agreed. Yeah, set an example, right? Right, right. Uh, you know, we're, and it's, it's about etiquette, the social rule, but it's also about civility. You know, it's about decorum and it's about understanding that, you know, how you present to other people says a lot about your self-respect. Um, it's, you know, it's about making an effort. It's about understanding that other people are impacted by your decisions, what you say, how you dress, what you do, how you drive, how you talk. I mean, I think we've kind of gotten away from our personal responsibility to other people, right? Lou, thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Lou Bear, she is here in Winnipeg. Lou Bear, Dr. Lou Bear, is a civility expert, an etiquette expert. So... Now your question, 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. What do you think of this? Uh, do you think that should happen at schools here? Should there be a dress code for parents? Um, and uh, what maybe what are some things you've seen out there, right? What are some crazy, not necessarily even at school, like what are some... what are some get-ups out there you've seen people in and you go, really? Like, didn't you have time to throw something else on before you left the house? 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. We're going to talk to Amber McGookin here, one of our global news reporters, in just a moment. I want to play a clip of a woman that we are calling Jessica. This is uh, to the domestic uh, violence uh, series that Amber is doing. Here is uh, Jessica. Take a listen. It's like walking on eggshells, basically. You know, you never know when it's going to be like the other shoe's going to drop and things are going to get bad. Like it's not It's not always bad. Sometimes it's good. And then it switches back to bad. And when it's good, you think it's going to stay good, but it doesn't. So yesterday, uh, Amber told us 16,000 domestic violence calls per year to Winnipeg police in the city. And today we're meeting one of those people who has suffered at the hands of domestic violence. Her name is Jessica. We're calling her uh, Jessica. Amber uh, Magoo can come on in here, and uh, there will be more on television tonight at 6 and 10. You can read all about it online and see more of Jessica at cjob.com. But uh, tell me a, a bit more about Jessica. Yeah, so she bravely shared her story with us. She was with her partner for two years, and she said the relationship started out normal, really happy, and she was falling for him. And there were small things that started to... That now looking back, she sees them as some of the red flags, but things like, you know, she would do her hair and makeup and he'd question, why are you doing that? Well, who are you getting all dressed up for? Things like he would check her phone, ask her who she's texting, monitoring which friends she was seeing. And that grew to even more and more things like financial control and eventually the physical abuse that she shared as well. And, and there are signs, right? It, it, are the signs mm-hmm. there in, in most relationships that, that have trouble? Yeah, it sounds like it from what I'm hearing from experts. It's it's often these elements of manipulation and control that are there and, and present. And those things are, are some of the hardest things for people to get over, actually. When I spoke to the folks at Willow Place about what 
um, what people are experiencing. They say, you know, the physical bruises are things that that are going to fade away, but it's that emotional side of things that is going to impact you more. Same with what Jessica experienced. She said those are the things that she can't, that are harder to get over because you just remember those things. They erode your self-esteem, erode your self-value, and you slowly, slowly start to feel worse about yourself. I played earlier, and I may, if I have time again, play a bit more of it, but after we talked yesterday, I had a gentleman call me off air, and I talked to him, and I altered his voice, and I had his story on the air earlier. Like I said, I'll I'll try and get some on later. And while the numbers are overwhelmingly uh, domestic violence men on women, Part of the story is uh, women on men, and and we we talked about that. What about Mm -hmm. both ways? What are the experts saying on that? Does it go both ways often in these cases, or is there one person that primarily carries out the violence on the other? Mm-hmm. From what I've understood, it's typically one on the other. But yeah, as you said, yeah, it can. It's not just women. I think my stats from before were eighty-four percent of victims are women. But another another aspect of this is a lot of men don't come forward. They feel um, they won't be believed. There's the other aspects of well, if if a man is going to punch a woman, it might uh, leave a, a bigger impact. Whereas if a woman punches a man, it might not leave as serious of an impact uh, physically. But so so from what I've heard, it's difficult. Even men don't want to feel like. Like, oh, okay, I, I should just toughen up. My wife shouldn't be hitting me. It's a little bit more difficult from what I've heard for men to come forward. And there's a lot of shame that comes with that. So definitely it's not just a female problem. It's just predominantly females, victims, and men are the are the perpetrators typically. And it's hard to make that call for help. It's hard to leave mm-hmm. a violent situation. Did you talk to Jessica about that? Mm-hmm, definitely. She said, you know, she felt so isolated in this situation. She was slowly taken away from more and more friends, her support, anyone who seemed to kind of notice what was going on was slowly cut out of her life. And, uh, for her, she had, um, you know, been in situations where she was covering up her bruises with makeup and, uh, there were people around her that would ask and, her ex would come up with a quick um, responses to what had happened. And, and so she said people knew, and that was probably one of the more heartbreaking things that she told me is that people knew, but they didn't say anything for a lot of the time. They just kind of accepted it and, and just kind of, you know, ignored it. And uh, one of the things that for her sharing her story was so important is because she said, you know, she wants other people to come forward. If, if you're seeing something in a relationship that maybe a friend or a cousin or something, if you're seeing something that looks a little off, there's maybe some control elements that you're kind of seeing she's she said you know she wants to encourage people to come forward inevitably a friend did say something to her and that kind of gave her some validation in her feelings that okay this isn't right this isn't normal this is not healthy and she finally was able to leave with the help of of a friend yeah so many times uh, kevin klein counselor kevin klein yesterday said the same thing he came forward to tell the story of his mom's murder at the hands of his stepdad because he felt it would be helpful to others and better to mm-hmm. ask is everything okay and be told no it's fine than not to ask and have something going on right Oh, definitely. And the other part that is difficult in this is is people don't leave the first time and not always. So, you know, what I've been hearing from experts, it takes seven to nine times of trying to leave before you're actually maybe permanently going to leave. So if you do know somebody who's in this type of relationship, it's really important to be patient with them and just show them that you are supportive of them, even though, you know, you might see it from the outside as such a simple solution. If someone's mean to you, you just leave, but they're not really taking into account all the other layers to this type of complicated relationship it's any breakup is difficult but when you have these other layers of manipulation and control it's very very difficult 
I know you're going to have more on the news here uh, after 4 o'clock with Richard and Julie, uh, with Cloochie and Buckingham. You can find mm-hmm. out more about Jessica, and you've got stories right now at cgob.com. Global News Television tonight at 6 and 10. And then are we going to get more tomorrow, or, or is that it for the series then? No, we've got two more stories. So tomorrow is more about the legal side of things, how challenging it is to go through the legal system. And then on the very last day, which is Friday, we've got some more uh, stories about some of these red flags people can look for. If you're in a brand new relationship, you're kind of questioning, is this right? Um, we're going to have some red flags and then some resources. So, you know, places you can go to for support. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Amber McGookin, one of our global news reporters with this series on domestic violence. You're on CGOB, CGOB.com and Global News Television. Dr. Raylene DeLuca. You can find uh, Dr. DeLuca at cgob.com in one of the stories on Jessica with Amber McGookin. But Dr. Raylene DeLuca says, here is uh, uh, some advice when helping someone who has been abused. The key word is respect. They did not feel respected. They They felt that they were put down. They were judged. And no one realizes, for example, a woman that is in a situation and she's not the breadwinner and she has children she has really nowhere to go we now know there are resources that are available but many times she doesn't know it so perhaps people that want to help could find out where their closest resources are but again respect 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 I'm here this afternoon to provide an update on the Bear Max Cafe investigation. Last night, investigators formed the belief and came to the conclusion that the incident here in Winnipeg this past weekend was staged. We have laid public mischief charges against three individuals, Alexander Barant, Oksana Barant, and Maxime Barant. These, of course, are the cafe owners themselves. Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe with the shocking news this afternoon that that hate attack, that hate crime at Burmax Cafe on Cordon, allegedly faked by the owners. Three people have been charged with public mischief, and we are now getting reaction. Benet Brith uh, reacting this afternoon in studio with us. Uh, Ron Yukashi is here. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate this. Thank you for having me. Horrible day. Uh, it's a quite a shocking, uh, a shocking development. We're very surprised by this. Um, you know, of course, um, if the allegations are true, this would be a huge slap in the face, not only to the Jewish community and to the general community, which expressed so much support, but to those who really come forward with, with experiences of anti-Semitism who report to us on a daily basis and, and have, a, have suffered real discrimination. So this is, this is very much sort of a betrayal of the public trust, if this, if this is the case. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier uh, Jesse Smollett in the States. You know, it, it sows that doubt, right? When we hear of these things, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's not good for the battle against hate, is it? Well, you, you couldn't be more correct in that, in that assessment. I mean, in reality, what it does is it enhances the cynicism that people might have. Um, and makes hard work, the work for us at B'nai B'rith Canada and other human rights organizations all the more difficult 
Because then when you come forward to actual incidents, people will just say, oh, maybe this is faked or, or uh, we don't believe that this is, this is the case. And then you create this cynicism and uh, it really hurts those who, uh, who have suffered from anti-Semitism and actually lets the purveyors of anti-Semitism and, and bigotry of all sorts off the hook. Is, uh, if, and the charge is public mischief against the three owners of the cafe. Is that, uh, um, if this turns out to be true, is that proper punishment for this, or does that uh, punishment, that charge, suit the crime here? Well, I think you know any charge that's brought forward has to fit the crime, so to speak. So whatever charges are brought forward would be likely deemed appropriate in right. this case. Because some of my listeners are suggesting mm-hmm. that if this turns out to be the case, they should be getting uh, much more than a public mischief charge. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to comment on that. Okay. But I think, you know, broadly speaking, well, one thing we have to also be grateful for is that the police did do their job and they are doing their job here. So they're investigating all leads. And if this is the conclusion they're coming to and it turns out to be true, then they still deserve to be congratulated for the work that they've done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no question about that. So where do you go from here now? Do you wait and see what happens with this case, these charges, uh, uh, or does the work begin now? I imagine it's now a whole different uh, set of circumstances. Well, I think broadly speaking, when you're fighting anti-Semitism across Canada, the work doesn't stop. So the work keeps on going. We still get calls, bona fide incidents. We deal with the police. The police, we have very good relationships with police departments across the country. And of course, uh, this is a very, I can't think of another instance like this, to be honest. So in instances where we report to the police, we have great relationships with them. Sometimes charges are brought forward against uh, people who meet the criminal threshold of anti-Semitic harassment, violence, or vandalism. And we're very appreciative of this. I think, you know, the next step forward here is to let the police continue their investigation, see what comes of this, um, reserve judgment to that extent, but uh, all the more, um, you know, thank them for the work that they've done and uh, remain vigilant and hopefully not succumb to cynicism because that's the worst thing that can, do, that can happen for any community. How do you battle that now? Well, it's a difficult battle, of course. Um, one thing that you have to do is, of course, um, remember that when people, if they engage to, in cynicism where they try and attribute it to the Jewish community, that in and of itself is a problem because individuals are responsible for their actions. So you can't tar any community with one brush. So I'd urge people not to make that mistake. That's a mistake that no one should make about any identifiable group. You name it. doesn't matter if they're Jewish, Muslim, Christian, you name it. So in that respect, I would urge people who might be have feel like there's a disincentive now to report incidents, to still continue to do so, and of course, also report them to the police and maintain, maintain your trust in the institutions. Don't let any potential or um, alleged failings of some people discourage you from uh, doing what's right. We've been talking this afternoon, too, about uh, the speaker, the uh, uh, Social Planning Council uh, uh, event on, on Friday night, the speaker, Linda uh, Sarsar. Um, I, I'm curious because uh, the Social Planning Council said that they fully expect protesters. Is that something B'nai B'rith uh, uh, would support protest, uh, protesting at uh, that event to, to uh, you know, show your side of this, uh, uh, the hate? Uh, because you see her as a hate speaker. Mayor Bowman sees her as a, as a hate speaker. Is, is protesting uh, a, a, an appropriate response when somebody like this comes to town? Well, we're aware that there's some sort of protest planned by grassroots activists. Um, that wasn't a B'nai B'rith planned event, so we, right. we didn't uh, plan that protest. We've been very public with condemning the invitation of Linda Sarsour in particular, given her track record of um, anti-Semitic statements and uh, even um, uh, sharing a stage with the terrorists, convicted terrorists. So, of course, we've been outspoken on that issue. 
if people want to reach out or complain to the Social Planning Council and the Canadian Muslim Women's Institute, which is the co-sponsor of the event, or they want to protest peacefully, um, you know, people are free to do so in Canada, generally speaking, as long as it's lawful. So we would support anyone who wants to express their view one way or the other. Absolutely. Great. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. From B'nai Brith, that is uh, Ron Yukashi joining us, reacting to uh, Linda Sarsar speaking in town with the Social Planning Council and also reacting to the story today that uh, Winnipeg police have charged the owners. Three people have been charged with um, public mischief in that hate crime, that attack on the Burmax Cafe on Corden. Thank you very much for your time. Really, uh, really appreciate it. Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.